What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Brews and Views. I'm your host, James Grissom. I'm going to talk about two of my favorite things on this podcast, worldviews and booze. I love Jesus, but what does that mean? I'm too liberal for my conservative friends and too conservative for my liberal friends. And it's tough being a true moderate. So where do we actually fit in? And maybe you're in the same boat. Uh, So this podcast is a moderate's perspective on what's going on these days and also booze. All right, so today we're talking about Bones Spirits. Uh, Bones is a uh, farm-to-table distillery uh, in uh, Smithville. Well, they call themselves a farm-to-bottle distillery because, you know, let's do that. So all the ingredients are local. Everything is made on site. Uh, The owner, founder, uh, was also uh, one of the co-founders of Grey Goose, so knows how to operate a distillery, obviously. they have great bourbon and gin, and they have really clean vodka, but let's be honest, vodka's got no flavor. It's there just to add alcohol to frou-frou drinks. Um, gin isn't usually my favorite. It's got a lot of character, but uh, even the best of them are a little harsh and medicinal. Um, but this is where Dirty June comes in. So Dirty June is a special run of their gin, which their typical gin is called Moody June. So this is the uh it's the same gin but then it's barrel aged um so you get that great juniper and twang of a gin but it's mellowed out by that aging Uh, comes through um really nice with that oak aftertaste and uh, all those things that you expect from a gin Um, got that really awesome amber color to it from the aging Um, just really smooth sweeter than a typical gin because of the aging as well um yeah just very very solid drink um it's a very rare one unfortunately uh it's not not a uh continual release i got lucky enough to swipe a bottle when i was at the distillery's tasting room um which is a great experience by the way if you're ever in the uh you know, Central Texas area, going to Smithville um, and uh, going to Bone, giving that place a visit is pretty awesome. There's also a uh, place called Rohan Meadery. Um, nothing to do with Lord of the Rings, but they get that question all the parent all the time. Um, so that's a pretty interesting place to visit. Lots of wineries around that area as well. And um, the painted churches of Central Texas are around there. So um, a lot of the old-time German congregations, uh, most of them are in the Catholic churches, but there's a couple that um, that are not. And they are just beautifully preserved in uh, painted churches um, that uh, are, most of them are free to visit. Um, you can look it up on Google, look for the painted churches trail. Uh, and that's right in this area right in the heart of German, Texas. Uh, Very, very cool place to visit. Highly recommended. Um, Check it out. And while you're there, uh, stop by Bone. Um, And yeah, Dirty June, probably my favorite thing they have. Um, Their bourbon is great, but I just, I've never had a barrel aged gin and it was, it still is great. So good stuff. All right. So let's talk about some I Love Jesus stuff. What I want to talk about today is uh, where I get my my uh, response, my 
my theology, my philosophy on sin. So, you know, we're talking about serotology. That's, you know, the big theological word there. Uh, so what I want to start with is, you know, Jesus and his parables, a couple of them that really set the tone for me. Um, so in one, you got a parable about a guy who owes this huge amount of money and he begs for mercy and, you know, more time to pay off his debt. Um, but the lender, you know, this ruler uh, just cancels it and says, you know, okay, thank you. You're, you're good to go. Um, so the story goes on, but in a ridiculous turn of events, this guy who has been forgiven a huge debt roughs up someone who owes him some piddling amount. Um, so this, you know, merciful ruler hears about it and uh, damns the man for not giving the same mercy that he has received. And I think that this is... Um, a beautiful picture of what it means to forgive and be forgiven and what mercy really is and the expectations behind mercy. So the other one um, that, that goes in this is, you know, the parable about the man who um, is arguing and, and upset because he comes and he works the fields and um, whether you were there starting at 6 a.m. or you know 6 p.m. everybody got the same amount and the people who were very upset about this and you know the the ruler says hey you know the the money is mine to give out and if you were here the whole time bless you if you were only here for a short time bless you and that's mine to give um, and so we really get another picture of God there and what, what forgiveness means and um, how, how it's, it's full as given. There's no more necessary, no matter when you came along the path to ask for forgiveness. There's no more necessary. There's no more forgiveness necessary, whether you're, you know, living reckless and, and selfish for 70 years and then, you know, have your quote-unquote come-to-Jesus moment or whether you grew up in church and embraced it from an early age. There's no more forgiveness necessary to set you straight. So humans uh, are always in a state of owing and being owed. Maybe not financially, uh, but in the broad scope of our relationships with others, this is true, right? So we owe gratitude, we owe affection, we owe allegiance, material stuff to people. And due to promises or circumstances or, you know, familial relationships, they owe us too. Some deliver and some don't. And sometimes we fail to deliver. And we carry positive and negative balances. But then God comes and as creator, we owe him our allegiance. As a shepherd, we owe him our trust. As one willing to cancel out all of our debts, we owe him gratitude and we owe a response to that. Right? Uh, God owes us what he promises and what his nature requires. So his nature is truth, so he owes us the truth. Um, 
in order for us to have any clue of how to follow us, he owes us revelation of those requirements. And he owes honoring his end of any promises that he's made, right? So the revelation that he's given through scripture and the spirit has instructed us that he will forgive our debts and therefore we have to forgive those who sin against us, our debtors. Right? So the parable is also giving us another point here that the amount owed isn't our concern. Forgiveness has no measure. It's all or nothing. And that's a hard one for us to grasp sometimes. Um, There is no this person sinned more so they need more forgiveness it's either forgiven or not and god says that if i forgive you you need to forgive and you know the first parable tells us that what god is forgiving is you know more serious than what we're forgiving and i don't want to get bogged down in the details of okay what does that mean in practical life um my life has not been rosy. I've been through some terrible things. Um, and I know other people out there have been through worse than me. And people have done shameful things to me. I've done shameful, shameful things to other people. Um, and when I look at the balance of um, what it means to be uh, free, what it means to be good um, I know that my ability to live up to goodness is severely hampered by my selfishness and therefore I will always have um, more debt more uh, sin against me than uh, God does because God is incapable of sin Um, and if we owe him our allegiance, if we owe him everything, um, then we owe him more than he could ever owe us. Um, and so when he forgives us, um, we must take that forgiveness and pay it forward. We just, we have to, um, so these parables and the Lord's prayer give us our response to sin. Uh, another's sin that they're forgiven of isn't our affair. Choosing who to forgive is not an option. And most importantly, deciding who God will forgive doesn't enter the realm of our business. Right? So I can tell you what I believe uh, Revelation demands of me, but that's framed very heavily by my human understanding. The spirit might be a perfect communicator, but I'm a very imperfect listener. And so who of us can say beyond a shadow of a doubt every time the difference between our conscience, human pressure, and the Holy Spirit when we're wrestling with interpreting revelation or even our morals? Who of us can say that what we feel, you know, convicted of um, is really... 100% always God. And I know that we have all of Revelation to wrestle with with that. We have the Spirit and we have Christ as a historical figure. We have Scripture. We have traditions um, 
passed down to us that help us interpret these things. But that's the bottom line is, is every response to um, conviction is tempered by our understanding. So all that to say, if someone is doing something that you deem sin and you think that there's absolutely no way that person can be a Christian and actively practice that sin, I want to urge you to back up a few steps. One, God can forgive who he wants and that's not our business. Two, um, not every sin that we deem sin uh, is a you know, God-given definition of that practice being sin. So Paul talks about this in the meat sacrifice to idol, idol section. We, we call this the weaker brother principle, uh, but I think that that sounds really terrible uh, because what it means is it's, it's not about being weak per se. It's about the convictions you grow up with shape you. They shape how you act. They shape how you react. So for those people who feel deep conviction about eating these meats sacrificed to idols, um, for you to do it in front of them is sin for you because you're causing them to stumble uh, is kind of the point of that verse. But to, to, to take it back a step, what that means is there are things that some consider sin that others don't, even though they're both part of the body of Christ. So we need to back off. Now, once you become a member of a local body, then that's a bit different. Okay, when you participate in a body, you choose to be beholden to its ordinances. So if your church says XYZ behavior is not acceptable and you do it, well, you deserve the consequences. Um, if you work in a ministry that says you're not supposed to drink, um, I obviously strongly disagree with that, but I wouldn't work there. Um, I did for a while and I don't anymore because of that. Uh, not only because of that. I mean, I'm not such a booze hound that I would quit a good job only because of that. But it was one of many things that I no longer fit the mold of that ministry opportunity. And that's okay because God calls us to different paths. So all that to say, um, there may be ordinances. There may be things that you have to agree to to belong to a body. And for you to go in there from the beginning knowing um, I have a problem with this and I'm going to do this anyway, well, your heart's in the wrong spot, okay? Unless this is something that you're going to change over time by bringing up discussions and by talking to people, um, saying, I don't think that, you know, this thing should be such a big deal. Um, if you're going in instead and thwarting the ordinances from the beginning and saying, I'm going to live the way I want and you're just too close-minded, um, you're, you're disruptive. At that point, you're not being helpful. Um, you know, so freedom comes with responsibility just as much as grace does. Freedom tells us that we have to consider the other people. Grace tells us that Christ on the cross means I have zero to say about who or how he forgives, right? God might want X, Y, Z of me based on my understanding, but I can't force that on another person. If they choose to be in fellowship with me, 
and they choose my uh, understanding and we choose corporately that these regulations are what we're going to follow, then you're beholden to that until you talk them out of it, until you convince them to change, you're beholden to that. Being militant about it isn't helping anybody. So let's not confuse um, the ordinances of a uh, body with the exact same discussion, though, of sin and forgiveness, because it's not, right? I have no choice in who God forgives. I know what I believe the scriptures say about getting that forgiveness. I know what I believe about um, my tradition and background and scriptures telling me about, uh, you know, no-goes about these things that uh, are, you know, not up for debate about what is sin. But that's the thing that is tempered by how I understand. And what's not up for debate with me is up for debate with others. And that doesn't mean they're not a Christian. Right? So let's just be gracious according to the grace that was given to us. We can never uh, pay back the balance that we owe to God as our creator, as our ruler, as our loving savior. And he requires us to pay that forward. Let God deal with sin and you deal with introducing people to God. All right. So that's all I got to say about that. But I want to take just a couple minutes also. Uh, from time to time, something going on in the world will capture my attention enough to mention it here in the cast. And today, got to talk about coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. So I'm not a microbiologist. So I don't want to give you my take on the danger of it. I, I hate how political it's become. Uh, there's plenty of great articles out there on what it is and how dangerous it is, but uh, just go to the source, skip the hype, read what the CDC or the European CDC experts say in their articles posted on their sites. What I want to talk about is the massive amounts of selfishness going on. We've got people buying out Armageddon amounts of supplies and leaving shelves bare. And I've seen so many pictures of little old ladies staring in dismay because they only get to the store once a week or once every two weeks and the shelves are bare. So even worse than that are the people going beyond selfishness into absolute greed by stockpiling and selling the stuff online. And it makes me sick to my stomach. To be honest, I think these people are the scum of the earth. If you have more than you need and you live next door to someone who has less who's less fortunate, who's older, whatever the case may be. It's the Christian thing to offer your surplus to your neighbor. Jesus tells us that about any time, much less trying times like these. So love God and love people, folks. Catch you next time. So just want to throw this in there before I get beat up on it. I did mix up my terms. Uh, Soteriology is actually the study of salvation. Martiology is the study of sin proper. So you don't have to beat me up. I know I mixed up my terms, but I didn't want to re-record the whole episode for that one slip of the tongue. Thanks.